1: there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that, when you are slandered... Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him.
0: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, good morning. Let me add to the welcomes you've already received. Uh, Welcome to those who are joining us here in the room. Uh, Welcome also to those who are tuning in on Facebook or YouTube. Wherever you are, we're glad that you can be with us. And a particular welcome to you if this is your first time with us. Uh, My name is Dave Myers. It is my honor to serve as the lead pastor of this church. And look, whether you've been... um, following Jesus your whole life, or whether you've only just started investigating Christianity, our hope is that everyone will get to know Jesus better through gathering with us today. Now, before we dig into... God's Word. Uh, I wanted to give you a very brief update uh, on a couple of things across our City on a Hill movement. Uh, Last year, at the request of our movement board, uh, a strategic review was commenced to assess strengths and weaknesses across our movement of churches. Uh, One uh, of the areas of review was better clarifying local church governance structures. Uh, This is something that we've requested for a number of years, and so this is good news. Uh, Our church in Melbourne uh, and also our church in Melbourne East are currently piloting a more robust uh, structure uh, with better representation from a diversity of congregation members, Uh, And once these structures have kind of been ironed out and finalised, we're hoping to roll them out uh, in the next quarter here in Brisbane as well. Uh, There'll be opportunities to learn more about these things in the coming weeks, uh, but I trust and pray that these structures will help to further strengthen uh, our mission together. Um, But please be giving thanks to God uh, for the good work that is happening uh, across our movement, even in things that uh, may seem uh, insignificant, like governance and so on. Uh, Yeah, we give thanks to God for all that He's doing. Uh, But pray also, Uh, this week, the uh, lead pastors will be getting together from across our eight churches for a retreat. Uh, It is the first one since 2019. Uh, It's on the sunny coast, that's good news. Uh, But please be praying for us, pray for unity, pray for truth, uh, pray for gospel vision. Uh, well, we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Before we do that, we'll pray, and I'm going to pray using a traditional prayer uh, prayed by Christians around the world uh, on this third Sunday of Lent in the season leading up to Easter. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants and purify our disordered affections, that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Speak to us now, Lord, through your word. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, now that international borders are opening up, we can dream. And I want you to dream and imagine going on a trip. The destination, the beautiful island of Cyprus. Picture it. Beautiful blue water. The sun on your back. A book in one hand and a passion fruit kombucha in the other. The ancient Greeks called the island of Cyprus the happy Isle. And according to one author, Cyprus was so beautiful, fertile, rich, and fulfilling that no person would ever have to go beyond its shores to find the perfect life. Now, the Greek word used to describe this type of perfect and happy life is makarios. Turn to your neighbor and say, makarios. Well done. Good pronunciation. Makarios is all about an inner joy and satisfaction within the human heart. Now, the English for Makarios is blessed. Turn to your neighbour and say, blessed. Good pronunciation as well. Uh, William uh, Barclay, he contrasts human happiness and this happiness described by Makarios blessed. He said, human happiness is something that is dependent on the chances and changes of life, something which life may give and which life may also destroy. The Christian blessedness, makarios, is completely untouchable and unassailable. Human happiness, it rises and it falls depending on our circumstances, deteriorating health, a plan that fails, a global pandemic and we know all too well how bad weather can literally take away our happiness. But makarios, blessedness, happiness is not dependent on current circumstances. You see, today's passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 uses this makarios word and it says you will be blessed And it's the same word that Jesus uses on repeat at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes. Remember, we've been seeing there's many things in Peter's teaching that come straight from Jesus. And so today's text says, you will be blessed even if you suffer unjustly. Now, that might be a strange thing to consider, that injustice is a blessing. You know, if you were to scroll through hashtag blessed on Instagram, you are unlikely to find many examples of suffering. And yet, there is something about knowing Jesus that enables us to see life differently. The Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, Uh, writes this letter to Christians who were scattered throughout the region of what we know as modern day Turkey. Remember throughout this series, uh, we've we've seen that Christians are described as exiles, sojourners, strangers, they kind of don't fit in and they're facing persecution. And yet it's not without hope. 1 Peter is filled with a living hope found in Jesus and so today we've had two paragraphs read out for us already and we're going to break these two paragraphs and kind of look at them in turn and so the first half we're going to consider how to live, to hear the call, to see unjust suffering as a blessing from God and then for the second half, the second paragraph we'll consider why this is possible. First half, the how, second half, the why two things that we're going to pursue today. Who's ready for the first one? Come on. Number one, embrace the blessing of unjust suffering. Number one, for those taking notes, embrace the blessing of unjust suffering. We see this in the first paragraph, verse 13 to verse 17, and it describes something of how to embrace the blessing of unjust suffering. Pick it up with me, verse 13. It says, "Now." Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? You know, you're excited, you're zealous to do the right thing. Well, that's a good thing. As those who belong to Jesus, this is good and right. And the question is, well, who will harm you? You've got nothing to fear, but you kind of do. It continues. Have a look at verse 14. It says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. You know, suffering unjustly is already a theme that we've seen in recent weeks, and here it is again. And unjust suffering is described as makarios, happiness, a blessing. You know, look, if you are new to Christianity, that sounds like a really strange sales pitch, doesn't it? Or maybe you've even been around Christianity for a while, and and it's a little bit confusing to hear a verse like that, because perhaps in previous experiences, you've heard promises of when you come to Christ, everything will be awesome. Well, it will be, but not necessarily in this life. You see, it goes on and says in verse 14, "'Have no fear of them, nor be troubled.'" Peter is wanting to give perspective. Remember, he's writing to Christians that are being persecuted and suffering for being a follower of Jesus. It's actually just their reality. And yet he says to them, there's no need to fear, nor to be troubled. Hey, don't be surprised by this. There's only so much your persecutors can do to you. But there is one to fear. Look, verse 15 continues and says but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy. Honouring Christ the Lord as holy is the idea of fearing Jesus, fearing Christ, revering Him, hallowing Him, knowing Him. You see, knowing that Jesus is holy changes how much airtime we give to those who are opposed to Christianity. We know Jesus, That changes everything. Our allegiance is to Jesus. You know what? It'd be easy in a world that is hostile to Christ and Christianity to remain silent, to not be too loud in identifying as Jesus' followers. You know what? The world, the average person in Brisbane is happy enough for us to be Christians in private, providing we keep it out of the public sphere. Keep it to ourselves. And yet, if we honour Christ as holy, verse 15, it continues and says, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If we're honouring Christ as holy, fearing Him, revering Him, living for Him, we will be ready to let people know why. We follow Jesus. Why? How it is that we have hope in this life and in the life to come because of Jesus. You know, are you ready to share with someone why you have hope in Jesus? You see, the reality is the more we live for Jesus, the more opportunities will arise the more people will ask why we're different, why we're zealous to do good, why we're even able to embrace suffering as a blessing from God. And the more that happens, the more that happens, the cycle continues. We, we then share Jesus, we, we go out on a limb, we stick our necks out further and that may not necessarily come with greater peace, that might come with more suffering. You know, sometimes Sometimes Christians suffer because of how they speak about Jesus. You know what I mean? We, we suffer not because we belong to Jesus, but because we're jerks. Right? We're unkind. We're ungracious. We're unloving in our posture toward the world. And the text even speaks to this. Look at the last part there of verse 15. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Underline that, do this with gentleness and respect. You know, I've, um, let me be honest, I've certainly had some beat people up with the Gospel conversations. And I'd like to say it was only as a young Christian, 20 plus years ago. But, I'm not always as gentle and as respectful as I could be in speaking about Jesus. Jesus. I must heed this verse. I must strive and we must strive not only to share our hope in Christ, but to do it in a way that honours Christ. You see, verse 16 continues and says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, not if, but when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. Good conscience, good behavior. And if we're slandered, it's not because of how we've gone about it, but because people are rejecting Christ. May we be a people who are zealous to do good, who have a good conscience, and display good behavior in Christ. You know, some of you are doing your best in your workplace on your campus, among your family and friends and your neighbors. Keep going. Keep being zealous to do good. Keep having a good conscience. Keep displaying good behavior in Christ, even if sometimes it comes with suffering. Peter then rounds out this first paragraph in this first section with a restatement of his big idea, have a look at verse 17, he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You know what, perhaps today you are suffering as a direct result of doing evil. If that's the case, and at different times that will be all of us, we repent of our evil doing. But I'm certain There are people among us today and you are seeking to do God's will. And yet you find yourself on the receiving end of disproportionate and unjust suffering. Embrace it as a blessing from God. Our first paragraph, our first half of this passage, verse 13 to 17, is about how to live. Number one, to embrace the blessing of unjust suffering. Which leads to the second half of why this is possible. Embrace the blessing of unjust suffering. Number two, because of Christ's victory over unjust suffering. Number two, because of Christ's victory over unjust suffering. We can embrace unjust suffering because of Christ because of his victory as we'll see in the paragraph verse 18 to verse 22. I, uh, I love the opening verse here, uh, it's one of my favourite verses that gets to the heart of the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. What a powerful verse with the gospel succinctly stated. Now, one of the the big things that was taking place when Jesus died on the cross is something that theologians call penal substitutionary atonement. Turn to your neighbour and say, penal substitutionary atonement. It's a fairly long little phrase, isn't it? I I, want to show you how penal substitutionary atonement is kind of right there in verse 18. So, first of all, penal. Well, it says the first phrase, for Christ also suffered once for sins. At the cross, Jesus suffered unjustly. At the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for sin. Well, what is sin? Sin is our failure to love God as God, Sin is our failure to love our neighbour as ourselves. We sin in thought, word and deed. We sin by breaking God's rules. We sin by making up our own rules. And the reality is that the scriptures, the Bible and human experience reveal that we're all guilty of sin. And yet Jesus pays the penalty for sin. There's penal. Substitutionary, the second phrase, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus is the righteous, we are the unrighteous. Jesus is the sinless one, and we are sinful. The uh, highlight of 2021 for me was becoming Coach Davo. Uh, there is this is uh, my son Tom and his soccer team. Um, Tom's the one on the far left, and I'm, I'm yeah, I'm not sure what happened to his eyes in that photo, but. What a joy. I literally had a ball uh, coaching this team. The mighty under-10 Virginia United football club kookaburras. Training starts this week for the under-11 season, and I can't wait. But I want to tell you about one of my players uh, from last year that had a a funny-slash-annoying habit. We won't use his real name, and this isn't my son. It's it's another child. not going to publicly shame him. Let's call him Jimmy. And Jimmy would get to this point in the game where... He just sat down on the field. Now, this is under 10s. This is a reasonably good team, a very good team. This is not the under fives where it's just like, hey, everyone's sitting down for half the game. <laughs> and Jimmy would just sit there, He's just too tired to keep playing. They'd be like, Jimmy, get up. Jimmy, get up. Jimmy, get off. Come on, just get off the field. And what would happen is we'd get Jimmy off the field and one of his teammates would go on as as substitute, and do what Jimmy could no longer do. Bear with me for a moment. At the cross, Jesus comes on as our substitute. Not just when we've run out of puff, but, but while we were unrighteous, dead in our sin, He does what we fail to do. He plays on our behalf. He lives a perfect life without sin. And then when he goes to the cross, he takes the penalty for our sin as our representative, as our substitute. Check out this brilliant quote on substitution from John Stott. He says this, The concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both Sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. Isn't that incredible? Penal. A penalty has been paid. Substitutionary. In our place and for our sin. And then thirdly, atonement. Atonement. What's that all about? Well, it's literally at one month. Look at the third phrase in verse 18. That he might bring us to God. We were not at one with God. We were out of right relationship with Him, but in and through Jesus and His work on the cross, we can be made at one. Our sin atoned for, relationship with God restored. Penal, substitutionary atonement not just a long theological phrase but a profound truth that gets to the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit You know, I want to speak to you for a moment this morning if you're not a follower of Jesus. Can I just say it again? We are so glad that you are here and that this church will never force you to believe anything or become anything that you don't want for yourself. But if you understand penal substitutionary atonement, you have understood what is at the heart of what Christians believe. Look, you've arrived at church today and you have a bunch of needs in your life. You need to work out where you're going to go for lunch today. You need to work out, well, what do I need to do on Monday to complete my work project by Friday? You need to decide how you'll vote in the next election. Each of those are needs of varying degrees of significance, but what you need to understand today is that your deepest need right now is that you are out of right relationship with God. And your greatest need is to have your sin dealt with by Him. And the good news of the Gospel is is what God has done to deal with your sin and remarkably to offer you a restored relationship to God. Look, that's good news for you today. Some of you have been working hard to try and deal with your own sin, pay off your own debt and kind of hopefully, maybe if just I do enough, I'll earn my way back to God. But that's not biblical Christianity. You see, the the best way for you to respond to this message is, is to know your need and to trust that Jesus, through His work alone, has dealt with it. Look, let me know or let the team know, fill out a connect card if you'd like to talk further about what it even means to to put your trust in Jesus, to take hold of what he has done for you, to have your relationship restored with God. But look, let me speak for a moment to those who are already followers of Jesus. Brothers, sisters, keep believing the truths of verse 18. Keep trusting in the Jesus we meet in verse 18. 18. And you know what, perhaps as we slowly walk through verse 18, you attempted to switch off or maybe check your phone for the current Bitcoin value and you're like, you know, yep, here's Dave, he's doing the gospel bit, I've heard it, it's great, good. You've heard it before, but brothers and sisters, let's never grow weary of hearing that gospel message on repeat. Let's never move on from it. Let's t- together hear it again and again and again. Let's together keep believing this gospel. You know, back in the first half of our passage, in verse 15, Peter is said to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Within a couple of sentences, by verse, by verse 18, he now equips believers. Hey, be ready. You got an answer? Be ready for when people ask you about why, why you have hope. Hey, and I'm about to give you an answer. I'm about to give you a little memory verse, if they called them that back then. A stunning gospel summary in verse 18. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it. You know, for the last couple of years, I've regularly been using a gospel sentence um, to, to try and keep the gospel on repeat in my life. There's a bunch of gospel sentences, there's a bunch of verses in the Bible that are, are great sentences summarising the gospel, uh, and likewise we can work out how to make up our own sentences to kind of represent what Scripture says about the gospel. Uh, the gospel sentence that I've been using is one that you would hear here regularly at church. You'd hear me when I service lead, you'd hear me when I preach. You may have even heard Stephen service leading this morning. There was elements of the gospel sentence in the prayer he prayed at the beginning. Now, this gospel sentence may not be a word-for-word gospel explanation that I share with a friend who's not yet a follower of Jesus, but it at least helps me be reminded and us be reminded of that which is at the heart of the gospel. Uh, it's a sentence that I adapted from um, J.I. Packer. He said, God saves sinners. That was his three-word gospel Summary. Uh, that was then fleshed out by an Acts 29 pastor from the United States that I've then fleshed out a little bit more on top of that. So this is Packer slash Thune slash Myers. Here's the gospel sentence if you're not familiar with it. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the perfect life, the sacrificial death and the triumphant resurrection of King Jesus. Brothers and sisters, remember this gospel. Know this gospel. Believe this gospel. You know, as a church, we we speak about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. May this gospel sentence and other verses and other sentences help us to know Jesus better and be better equipped to make Jesus known, God willing, with a clarity that the world desperately needs to hear. You know, we've, we've had a long stopover in that stunning verse, verse 18. We're going to move a little bit more quickly through the rest of uh, this paragraph. And let's just say, heads up, this next bit is a little bit tricky. Martin Luther said this about the next bit. He said, a wonderful text is this. And a more obscure passage, perhaps, than any other in the New Testament. So that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. I cannot understand and I cannot explain it. Uh, And there has been no one who has explained it. So for the next minute, I'm going to explain exactly what it means with clarity. Or maybe not. What's it say? Have a look at the verse again. Verse 19 picks up. It says... Uh, in which Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Hey there might be some ambiguity, there might be some uncertainty exactly on what Peter means in this paragraph. Some think uh, it's referring to something that happened in between Jesus' death and his resurrection Uh, but I think Uh, It actually takes place after verse 18, which also includes his resurrection. It's more likely uh, that it happened after Jesus' resurrection, maybe even at the time of his ascension uh, back to his father's right hand. Uh, Who are the fallen spirits? Maybe, I think, perhaps, they are the fallen angels from Genesis chapter 6. And what does Jesus do to these fallen angels who are in prison? He goes to proclaim something. He goes to proclaim his victory and their defeat. And then we've got baptism thrown in there as well that's also a little bit confusing and contention on what it is and isn't saying, but think that even the baptism bit is a reminder of Jesus' victory and our victory as those who belong to Him. Look, I've read at least six different views on what this all means and we don't have the time to dig into those and can't necessarily be certain exactly what is or isn't being said. And yet, there's a context in this paragraph that I would hate for us to miss. Even in the midst of the, who are these fallen angels? What did it mean for Jesus to go and proclaim something to them? How did that happen? When did that happen? There's a bigger picture in this paragraph that we must see. Scott, uh, Scott McKnight, in his commentary, after he states a few options, states his preference, he then actually says, quote, regardless of the view one takes, I would emphasize at this point the need to see this passage in light of its context. The overall theme of vindication. Jesus was righteous and suffered for the unrighteous. God vindicated him by exalting him to his right hand. The churches of Peter, and I think us as well, need to know that if they remain faithful like Jesus, they too will be vindicated. That is is the hope that ought to sustain them as they endure suffering the hope of which they are ready are to be ready to speak and the hope that Peter urges them to embrace as good isn't it Th- through Jesus perfect life his sacrificial death and his triumphant resurrection which we clearly see in this paragraph we know he has the victory we know that he is vindicated. We know that his victory therefore is our victory. We know that his resurrection is our resurrection. You know, where is Christ now? He is at the right hand, seated uh, beside his Father. His work in this world has finished at the cross. He no longer needs to do any more work of salvation and yet seated at his Father's right hand, his ongoing work is to apply the redemption the atonement, the sacrifice, the penalty that he paid at the cross, applying it to those who trust in him, remaining faithful to him. That's good news because he's in charge. He has all authority. He can be trusted in all circumstances. Our happiness doesn't rise and fall on what's going on around us. It's sure and it is certain because of Christ who has the victory in fact suffering brothers and sisters as a Christian is a blessing because we hope all the more in him who has the victory who rules and reigns you know our two points if we join them together As one sentence, here's our big idea. If you've missed the last 30 minutes of this talk, here's what you missed. One, embrace the blessing of unjust suffering because two, of Christ's victory over unjust suffering. Embrace the blessing of unjust suffering because of Christ's victory over unjust suffering. As I invite the band out, we're gonna close out with some songs in a moment, but we began. Today, with a beach. And we're concluding our time together with a different beach. Sometime in January 2015, 20 Egyptian Christian men were kidnapped and then beheaded on a Libyan beach. Uh, Islamic State then released a video in February 2015 parading them and this horrific, barbaric moment I still remember when that news broke and have something etched in my mind so clearly of the remarkable response of Christians. Look at these stunning words from a pastor in their community shared publicly, unflinchingly, a day after the release of that horrific video. The pastor says this, from the Egyptian church to Isis, We love you and have pity on you and pray that God may open your eyes so that you can see the true light in Jesus Christ. We're not intimidated by your threats. Death is a vanquished enemy for us, vanquished by the power of the Christ in his resurrection from the dead. We are not armed and we're not militant, but our prayers are stronger all your weapons. Isn't that a stunning picture of embracing the blessing of unjust suffering because of Christ's victory over unjust suffering? Church, would you stand as we pray together? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we need you We need your help. We need your strength. We need your Spirit to work powerfully among us this day and every day while we wait for the return of Christ. Father, we pray and ask that you indeed would help us by your Holy Spirit to stand firm in this life, embracing unjust suffering as a blessing. Father, as we look to Jesus, we know that he has the victory over unjust suffering. We're thankful for his life, we're thankful for his death, we're thankful for his resurrection. Father, our hope is in him. Father, would you sustain us in the time of trial? Would you enable us to not give up on Christ? And would you help us as a church community to keep making this message known to one another and indeed to a world that desperately needs to know the good news of Jesus? Father... We thank you for the way that your word speaks into each of our lives. And Father, may this word continue to work through us as we are sent out from this place today. And it's in the precious name of our risen, ruling and returning king that we all pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit City on a Hill dot com dot au.